Well, here's the theme of 1 Peter. Suffering serves a purpose. Sixteen times in this short letter, Peter mentions the word suffering. Christians aren't immune from tough times. In fact, God uses tough times as part of our spiritual growth. Yet right in the middle of this letter on suffering, guess what subject comes to Peter's mind? That's right, marriage, husbands and wives. I'm sure you've heard about the three rings of marriage. There's the engagement ring, and then there's the wedding ring, and then comes the suffering. Heard that? It's been said when marriage is good, it's the closest thing on earth to heaven. But when marriage is bad, it's the closest thing to earth to, well, a very rainy day. To me, it's entirely appropriate to introduce a section on marriage even in the midst of a discussion on suffering for when hardship hits and when difficulties strike, it impacts a marriage for better or for worse. Will the couple buckle? Will they pull together or will they pull apart? Will it break the marriage or will it build the marriage? As we've said, All of life is a test. It's nothing but a test. And suffering poses a test for every marriage. Well, Peter devotes the first seven verses here in chapter 3 to the subject of marriage. Verses 1 through 6 are addressed to wives. Verse 7 is addressed to the husbands. Peter teaches us how to love, how a wife should love her husband, and how a husband should love his wife. Isn't it amazing, though, that in a letter of 105 verses, Peter devotes only seven to the central human relationship of marriage? I mean, less than a dozen verses? Actually, if you canvass the Bible, relatively speaking, you'll find very few verses on marriage. Whereas, if you go to the Christian bookstore today, and you start combing the racks you'll find stacks and stacks of books and CDs and videos. I mean, opinions abound. Why is this? I know one thing. The Bible's marital instructions are really pretty simple. They're basic. They're doable. And believe me, they work. If we take them to heart and if we obey them faithfully. Well, on Father's Day, we're going to target the men and the husbands. But today, I want to speak to the wives. Verses 1 through 6. Apparently, Peter believed girls first. Peter provides the ladies instruction in three areas. Their boundaries, their behavior, and their beauty. And then he gives them an example. Verse 1 establishes a wife's boundaries. Peter writes, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Now we learned last time the operative word in all of a Christian's relationships is submit. Citizens should submit to the governing authorities. Servants should submit to their bosses. 
We're going to learn later that church members should submit to their pastors and husbands should submit to God and to the church. And in the family, wives should submit to their husbands. Several summers ago, there was a billboard over here on Highway 78 that sort of spit in the eye tradition. The billboard promoted Virginia Slim cigarettes. A young lady with a cigarette in hand was pictured blocking her husband's path. She was standing in his way, suppressing his forward movement. And the ad read, Who cares who wears the pants? Well, let me sound this out for modern ears to hear. There is no confusion. God cares who wears the pants. Hurl tomatoes if you like. Try and muzzle the preacher. But to escape this truth, you're going to have to rip Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, and 1 Peter 3 out of your Bible because the Bible is crystal clear. The Almighty has said it. The captain of our creation has established male headship in the church and in the home. Husbands should lovingly lead, and wives should willingly follow and support. You know, the Greek term translated submissive is the word hupotasso. It's a compound word. Hupo means under, and tasso means to arrange. Hupotasso means to arrange under or to work within set boundaries, rather than compete with each other. A godly marriage is a husband and a wife learning to cooperate. They honor their God-assigned roles, and they live within those roles for the sake of their marriage and for the glory of God. Submission to God ends the battle of the sexes. You see, submission for a wife is the willingness to work her lifestyle around her husband. As he pursues God's call on his life, his pursuits become her boundaries. She's free to do whatever God leads her to do as long as she orchestrates her endeavors around the direction her husband chooses. She builds her life where he needs to live. She works her schedule around him. She supports him in his career. A wife will pursue her own ambitions but she'll do so in cooperation and with the consent of her husband. And when his objectives and her interests collide, and they will, she yields to her husband. Rather than march to her own drummer, a godly wife lets her husband set the pace. She's able to harmonize. She doesn't try to drown him out. She doesn't sing a different tune. She understands her part, and she sings A beautiful duet. Ladies, understand a few attitudes that submission is not. First, submission is not an admission of inferiority. Men are not superior to women. In fact, from my observation, just the opposite is true. Most women are smarter than most men. If the idea of survival of the fittest were really true, women would be leading men around on dog chains by now. It's easy for a woman to get the upper hand on a man. She's more intelligent. She's clever. She's more talented. And that's why submission for a woman 
is so difficult. Here's what you need to know. God's blueprint for marriage was not designed because it's the most utilitarian approach. It was not put in place because it was necessarily the most efficient arrangement. God has a deeper purpose in mind. God's order for marriage portrays spiritual, eternal realities. When a husband leads, when a wife follows, it paints a picture to society of the Christian's responsibility and relationship to Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. He leads and we lovingly follow. And when we do, our marriage becomes a picture, a witness to the world. You see, God's plan for marriage calls for an ordered equality. Both partners, equal in value, but different in roles. In the church and in the home, God wants men to lead and women to follow. A wife should be by her husband's side, certainly not under his feet, but neither in his face, but by his side. Now, another attitude that submission is not, it's not being a doormat and allowing a man to just wipe his feet on your unquestioning compliance. Ladies, if your husband makes a request of you that is immoral, illegal, or unbiblical, that's when your responsibility to submit comes to a screeching halt. A husband's authority is far from absolute. It's secondary to God's authority, the government's authority, and of course the church's authority. In fact, there have been times when the elders of this church have come to a wife's aid. We've intervened in a marriage and held the husband responsible for misusing or abusing his authority toward his wife. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when the Jews commanded Peter not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. He defied that order by appealing to a higher authority. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You see, all human authority has limits. Obedience to God always takes precedent over submission to a husband. And also, don't mistake submission as a sign of weakness. To the contrary, it takes a strong woman to submit to her husband. It takes great courage on her part to live by principle, to muffle a comment she would have said, to trust an imperfect husband to set the direction for her life. It takes a strong and committed woman. Neither does submission mean that a wife shouldn't have input in decisions. A wife needs to let her husband know what she thinks and why. And a wise husband will recognize that his wife's judgment is invaluable. Oh, my wife, she is such a wise person. Kathy not only knows God, but she knows me. No one this side of heaven knows me better. And this is why her advice is so crucial. She keeps me honest. She keeps me humble. And she's always, she always encourages me to obey God. You see, a husband will benefit from his wife's wisdom, but he absolutely needs her support. In the end... A wife that wants to please God and succeed in her marriage will choose to live her life in the shadow of her husband. God will bless such a submissive wife. Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, once wrote this. The best advice I can give to unmarried girls 
is to marry someone you don't mind adjusting to. God tailors the wife to fit the husband, not the husband to fit the wife. Peter would agree. A submissive wife will arrange her life around her husband. Once in a political debate, two candidates were sparring. They'd squared off in this heated showdown. The challenger, he asks his opponent, he says, what about all of those special interests that have you under their thumb and are they controlling you and manipulating you? The incumbent, he kind of bristled up. He shouted back, now you wait a minute. Enough's enough. Leave my wife out of this. When a wife dominates her husband, it's a sign that she really doesn't trust God. Nowhere in Scripture are wives asked to believe in their husbands. A wife is required to submit to her husband and believe that God will lead him and work through him to take care of her and her family. Over the years, I've observed most husbands will not fight their wife for the leadership of the family. Ladies, if you're always vying to lead, he'll just let you. He'll just go off and go fishing. He's not going to fight you for leadership. Men are taught from an early age not to fight with girls. It's only when you decide to submit that your husband will then take seriously his responsibility to lead. Ladies, I think for some of you it's time that you got out from under the steering wheel and back in the passenger seat. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Yet I can hear it. I can see it. It's already, the tumblers are turning already. And I can see what some of you ladies are thinking. And you're kind of formulating your rebuttals even right now. And if you had the chance, here's what you'd say. Pastor Sandy, oh that quote from Ruth Graham, oh that was really nice. That's easy for her to say. She's married to this mighty man of God. Trust me, my husband is no Billy Graham. Billy Goat, maybe. Graham Cracker, perhaps. But he's no Billy Graham. No one would ever mistake my man for a mighty man of God. Hey, but recognize the context of Peter's words. He's talking to wives married to men who aren't even believers. He's talking to pagan Women that are married to pagan, heathen husbands. If Peter's instructions apply to a wife of an ungodly husband, then certainly they apply to a wife who's married to a growing, caring Christian. You see, Peter writes in verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. God doesn't say you submit to your husband if he's a mighty man of God. He doesn't have to be a man of God at all. He can be a beer-drinking, tobacco-chewing, pool-shooting, poker-playing son of a gun. But the instructions still apply to his wife. In fact, her submission may just be the key to his conversion. You see, when the gospel reached many first century families, the wives embraced Jesus, but the husbands didn't. 
And suddenly these ladies were now believers married to unbelievers. And this placed a great stress on their marriage. These ladies had fallen in love with Jesus. He was now the most important person in their life. Yet they were unable to share him with their spouse. And these ladies, they desperately wanted their husbands to know Jesus. And so they witnessed to him constantly. They did all kinds of things to share the gospel. And they tried to put tracks in his sandwiches. They worked hard to to push it on him, to conjole him into it. Yet understand this, few people get nagged into heaven. It rarely happens. The ladies Peter addresses love their husbands. They didn't want to see him go to hell. These husbands needed to be saved and changed. Ladies, perhaps your husband is a Christian. But he still needs to make a few changes in his life. You'd love to see him saved from some of the bad habits you abhor. He may be a believer, but this maturing process in his life is going a lot slower than you'd hoped. And you've been trying to help God out. In fact, you'd like to join forces this morning with the Holy Spirit to transform your hubby. Someone once said, the only time a woman changes a man is when he's a baby in a dirty diaper. But is that really true? Ladies, is there nothing you can do? Here's the question. How can a wife change a husband? Well, here's the one certainty. Nagging's going to get you nowhere. Neither does badgering or berating or bombarding. Sticking pieces of paper with scripture references on them, putting them in his pockets, or sticking them in his sandwiches and tucking them in his lunch pail... It may only make him mad playing Pastor Sandy CDs while he's trying to sleep. May help put him to sleep, but it may drive him further from Jesus. How does a wife win her husband? She will best influence her husband, not with words, Peter says, but without words, by her good Godly, loving, winsome conduct. Peter describes a wife's boundaries, but then he talks about her behavior. Verse 2. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The Greek word translated chaste means holy and pure. Here's the answer to the question. How do you change a husband? You change a mate not by meddling, but by modeling what's good, and what's godly. In 1805, a missionary from the Boston Missionary Society preached to Indians in upstate New York. After his message, Chief Red Jacket, he replied to the missionary, We will wait a while and see what effect your preaching has upon your own people. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less inclined to cheat Indians... We will then consider again what you have said. I hope you know, ladies, this is how some husbands react to the witness of their wives. Ladies, you're chief. The chief of your TP. You know, chief expanding jacket. Chief stubborn heart. You know that good old chief in your TP? This is what he may be thinking about you. 
Hey, when he sees the gospel change your life, make you kinder and gentler and more loving, then he'll pay attention to what the gospel can do for him. Well, Peter clarifies a wife's boundaries. She should submit to her husband. He then speaks to her behavior. Learn to affect her husband without words. And now he speaks to his wife's beauty. Verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Ladies, you will never look hotter, prettier, more sexy to your hubby than when you spruce up in a gentle, quiet, submissive spirit. The real knockout is the woman who is prettiest on the inside. Hey, Peter would tell us, a sexy figure along with a nagging mouth loses its attractiveness in a hurry, man. Way back there, that lost its attractiveness. These verses remind me of Proverbs 11, verse 22. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. When a husband comes home from work, he's been beaten up. He's been bullied around. He's been bruised. He needs a wife who's willing to be gentle and kind toward him. A godly wife has this quiet spirit. She doesn't just talk his ear off the moment he walks into the house. She doesn't grumble at him and complain and gossip. A literal rendering of the phrase translated quiet spirit would be she keeps her seat or she knows her place. A real beauty is the wife who works in understanding her husband and loves him in an appropriate manner. Understand when Peter tells us, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. He's not prohibiting women from dressing up. There's some conservative, real conservative groups that have interpreted that way. That's not what he's saying. He's not suggesting that a woman can't style her hair or sport nice jewelry or buy some hip and fashionable clothes or or, or even wear cosmetics. In fact, one of my very favorite Bible commentators, Donald Gray Barnhouse, In his commentary on this passage, he makes this comment. He says, if a barn needs painting, then it should be painted. Likewise, if a woman needs makeup, then she should wear it. So be it. I think this is one of the reasons why women generally outlive men. Paint makes for a good preservative. Peter's point, though, is not that a woman can't look nice. In fact, a woman who neglects her outward appearance may be saying something negative about the health or lack thereof of of her inner person. But her focus, her priority, should be on a godly character, not on a gaudy appearance. Peter wants us to realize that true beauty is inward, not outward. Beauty of the heart is what pleases the Lord and what makes a husband happy. Ladies, do you spend more time in the mirror than you do in God's Word? That's the question. I ran across a quote by comedian Elaine Boozler. She writes, We have women in the military, but they don't put us on the front lines. They don't know if we can fight, if we can kill. 
I think we can. All the general has to do is walk over to the women and say, you see the enemy over there? They say you look fat in those uniforms. (laughs) My, fat comments are fighting words. Some women are so fixated on their figure. They're passionate about their appearance. If only they were as passionate about their spiritual shape. According to Peter, rather than spend hours styling your hair and toning up certain areas of your anatomy and accessorizing your wardrobe, ladies, your priority, the priority of a godly wife should be the cultivation of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Notice the terms he uses. A godly wife should beautify the hidden person of the heart. She should adorn herself with incorruptible beauty. I love that term. Incorruptible beauty. I got to tell you, ladies, a skinny waist, smooth skin, creamy complexion, uh, it's not going to last forever. Ladies, it don't matter what you do. Time is not on your side. The laws of entropy say that things move from order to randomness. This is why a man who marries a woman for her good looks is like a man who buys a house for the paint job. He knows in time it's going to chip and fade and crack. This way he's saying, outward beauty is corruptible beauty, but inward beauty is incorruptible. It doesn't fade, it doesn't chip, it doesn't crack, it doesn't lose its luster. Inner beauty is for all eternity. Well, hey, verses 1 through 4 describe a wife's boundaries, behavior, and beauty. And as I said, Peter's instructions are basic and clear and simple and doable. Wives, submit to your husbands. Learn to influence them without a word, just with your godly conduct. And then cultivate an inner beauty that never fades. Hey, but knowing what God says and doing it, sometimes they're two two different issues. And that's why in verses 5 and 6, Peter gives us the example of a wife who obeyed God in all three areas. And her example should encourage women today. Verses 5 and 6 tell her story. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah was Abraham's wife. She was fearless and she was submissive. The Bible says she called her husband Lord. That's the equivalent of saying, Sir. Now, ladies, I don't think you have to go that far. I mean, yes, sir, no, sir. That may be a little extreme. Sometimes Kathy refers to me and, and I'll ask her to do something and she'll say, Yes, my Lord. But, but it always comes out in a sarcastic tone. I don't know sure about that. I take it nonetheless. The point, though, is that, ladies, you need to respect your husband as the head of your home. You know, it's interesting, Sarah is mentioned twice in the New Testament. 
In Hebrews 11, she's highlighted for her faith. Peter mentions her for her submission. And here's what we learn from Sarah. Put them together. It takes faith in God to submit to a fallible husband. I love the amplified version of verse 6. It says, And you are now Sarah's daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. You see, a submissive wife has to have steely nerves. Why? Because her husband is at the helm. And that produces some hysteria and some anxiety. This is why a wife has to be fearless. Like Sarah, she has to be brave enough to trust God to work through her husband. And Sarah, ladies, is your example. Sarah's story begins in Genesis chapter 12. God called her husband Abraham to uproot his family and to move to a land not yet known. Acts 7 tells us that God called Abraham while living in Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was a resort area. It was a cultural, luxurious vacation setting there on the shores of the Persian Gulf. Here's some trivia for you. Ur was the first place where bathtubs were used by the populace. Abraham and Sarah were obviously rich, and they were comfortable and evidently clean. Imagine the day when Abraham came home from the office and said, Sarah, honey, we're moving. Now, a move is hard enough for a woman. Women have a nesting instinct. They love the security of familiar settings and and close relationships. But without any warning now, Abe comes home from the office. He tells his wife he's uprooting her. And he doesn't even know where they're headed. Where are we going, honey? Well, God hasn't told me yet. He's just told us to move. Now, at that moment, Sarah had a choice. She could trust God and follow her husband. Or she could put her foot down. I like it in Ur. We'll err if we leave Ur. I'm staying right her in Ur. She could buck her husband or she could obey God. Here's a Sarah could support or abort Abraham's vision. She could get in his way or she could help him on his way. She could assist him or hinder him. And ladies, you have the same choice. Will you buck him? Or will you get on board with your husband? Understand, Sarah, her name means princess. And it implies strength and nobility and leadership and intelligence and dignity. Sarah was not spineless. She was a princess. Author Richard Strauss writes of Sarah... She was an intelligent and capable woman. But when she married Abraham, she made a decision. She established as her mission in life the task of helping her husband fulfill God's purposes for him. That was not weakness. It was God's will for her life. True biblical submission. Sarah was smart. She was strong. She was an independent woman. But she willingly chose to live her life Through her husband. Too many wives today undermine God's plan for their husbands. 
They refuse to let him lead. They're fearful and they're faithless. Oh, oh, my husband could sit in the front seat. That looks good for the neighbors. Just, just as long as I can do all the navigating from the passenger side. It's sad when even Christian wives decline to trust God and to trust their husbands. Now for a moment, let me commiserate with you ladies. Perhaps you've seen or, or even tasted the abuse of male authority. And I want to apologize. On behalf of men, I want to apologize. And I got a lot to say to men next time. As a matter of fact, I'm lowering the boom on the men next time. It's going to be, it, I'm, I'm, dropping the, I'm dropping the ball on the men next time. Because men in America have failed to do their job. It's the greatest social crisis our country has ever faced, is what's happening to men in America. We're going to talk about that next time. But because of that, some of you ladies carry scars. You were hurt by a domineering dad. Or you were abused by a violent monster masquerading as a man. Or you were betrayed by an X-rated ex-spouse. And you vowed to never let yourself be vulnerable to a man again. Maybe your current husband has been anything but a pillar of stability. You're just tired of following a rolling stone. If he goes through one more midlife crisis, I'm going to scream. You don't want to be submissive, and we understand. But Sarah had reasons to feel the same. She had reasons to adopt the very same attitude. At times, she could have refused to submit to Abraham because he made some awful mistakes. When famine struck in Israel, Abraham decided to go to Egypt for food, but he anticipated a problem. In Genesis 12, he told Sarah, You are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is my wife. And they will kill me and they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. This isn't godly leadership. This is spineless leadership. Hey, not even your husband has pulled this dumb of a stunt. At the time, Sarah was 65 years old. This amazes me. She's 65 and Abraham is worried about a hot-blooded, sex-obsessed Pharaoh wanting to add her to his harem. Evidently, Sarah was the only woman in history so hot she could shop for a new bikini with her social security check. And she lived in the days before liposuction and facelifts and other kinds of lifts. Sarah was a knockout. But all Abraham was thinking of was getting knocked off. And so he told her to lie. Just say you're my sister. What a man here. What a mighty man of faith. Old Abraham. Old Abraham sacrifices his own wife to save his own skin. How dare him. But here's the amazing thing. Sarah cooperated. Now, I'm not sure she should have. But her actions showed how seriously she trusted God. And she submitted to her husband. 
Sarah must have believed that if she submitted to Abraham, God would reward her obedience. Sarah believed that God would spare Abraham's life and her morality. For Sarah, obeying her husband was obeying God. She trusted God to provide for her and to protect her despite the fact that her husband had faltered. Ladies, do you believe God is bigger than your hubby's mistakes? Listen to what happened to Abraham on his excursion to Egypt. Genesis 12 verse 16 says, The Pharaoh treated Abram well for Sarah's sake. Notice this. God prospered Abraham for Sarah's sake, despite him, but because of his wife. He he also plagued the house of Pharaoh as long as Sarah lived there. God packed Abraham's purse and he protected Sarah's purity all because of a brave wife's submission. I heard a true story out of Los Angeles, California. A woman, Patrice Haslip is her name. She was recently charged with shooting her husband in the head. And why? She got mad when he made too many errors filling out the entry forms for the $10 million grand prize in the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Hey, Patrice, she takes her sweepstakes seriously. But ladies, perhaps your husband's mistakes have been costly to you. And though you haven't thought of shooting him in the head, though maybe you have, You have refused to let him be the head. He's not going to be the head of my house. But God has a different plan. For despite his folly and his foolishness and his foibles, God still wants you to submit to your husband's leadership. And if you do, God will bless your submission by changing and guiding your husband. Hey ladies, why don't you give it a shot? That was supposed to be a joke. I've told it three times now and nobody laughed. Well, ladies, why don't you be a daughter of Sarah? Here's a final thought. If little green Martians landed their spaceship out in your backyard and all these little Martians come crawling off the spaceship and they walk up to your kids playing there in the backyard and they say to your kids, take me to your leader. Are your kids going to take them to mom or to dad? There was little doubt that in Abraham's tent, the buck stopped with the buck. But it wasn't because he deserved the leadership. It was because Sarah had learned the importance and power of a submissive wife. As I said earlier, there's nothing complicated in God's blueprints for marriage. The only issue is our willingness to obey. Wives, will you obey God in your boundaries and in your behavior and in your beauty? And will you trust God to lead your husband and make him the leader your family needs?